world's becoming a dangerous place for us women. Lipstick Bodyguard looks just like an innocent little lipstick, but it'll instantly drop any attacker to his knees so you can get away unharmed. Lipstick Bodyguard, fear no evil. Get yours today, only at LipstickBodyguard.com. It's happening the world over. Generations a world apart are coming together, living together and bonding together. Could this be a solution to the world's growing elder care crisis? This week on Parents Are Hard To Raise, Diane shares her thoughts on intergenerational living. Welcome to Parents Are Hard To Raise, helping families grow older together without losing their minds. I'm elder care expert Diane Berardi. I got an email this week from Loretta in Manhattan, Kansas. Welcome and thank you, Loretta, for the email. I, and I didn't even know there was another Manhattan, so that I learned something new. So Loretta wrote that her dad passed away and her mom um, moved in with her and her husband about six months ago because she was about two hours away from her mom and she's the only child. And she said her mom has congestive heart failure, diabetes, and some mild dementia. And she said that her mom wasn't eating. She wasn't taking her medications properly you know, properly. And she just didn't want to do anything. She was just sitting around and not taking care of herself. And it sounded like she was, you know, a little depressed. And these are all common complaints that, you know, people find when, you know, one parent dies and the other is left um, at home and they just, you know, and they're, they have some chronic conditions and some mild dementia sets in. And, and so they, these are all common symptoms. So, Loretta said that her mom, you know, she moved her mom in with her and she said certain things improved. You know, she was eating better, obviously. And she said, but, you know, I would talk to her and try to engage with her. She didn't want to do anything. So she said that now my son has asked me to watch my my two year old grandson so his wife could go back to work. And so Loretta was thinking, oh, my God, you know, my mom just moved in. I just had my mom move in. And now what do I do? Do I have to choose between my mom and my my a grandson. So I was like, this is perfect, Loretta. You know, no, don't choose. Have your grandson come to your house and let your mom and you watch him together. This is going to be great for both of you, uh, for both of you and them. I mean, your mom can help watch him. First of all, you can tell her, you know, I'm I'm sorry, I I don't remember your grandson's name. I, I don't think you mentioned it. But, you know, you, you can say to your mom, now we're going to be watching, you know, Tyler, for instance. And your mom and him can do different things together. You know, they, he, she can read to him. They can eat together. They can bake together. They can cook together if she's able. But there's certain things, you know, I don't know if she's walking. They can, you know, play together, they could garden, exercise, you know, watch television, movies together. It's great. That intergenerational care is a great thing. You know, when you look at a, a toddler walk into a room and you watch an elderly person, their their face lights up, your, you know, their eyes light up. 
And, you know, you don't have to worry about a, a two-year-old, three-year-old. You know, they, they're, a, a child isn't going to look at um, an elderly person and see a sick person. You know, I don't know how... Um, socialize your grandchild is yet but you know most likely you know if your mom extends her arms out to him he's going to go running to or he's going to cuddle you know and your mom's face is going to light up your mom you're going to see is probably going to forget her own limitations she's probably going to exercise more because she's going to be you know doing stuff with um your grandchild she's going to have a purpose you know you don't see um extended families living together anymore. You don't see that, you know, the kids move away and the grandkids move away and people don't mix. But, you know, if you mix the elderly with toddlers, with children, they learn from each other. And, you know, you have very small children. They're not judgmental. They're going to be very accepting. You know, you don't think about it, but they're very creative. They see things differently. So your mom is probably going to get a kick out of, you know, out of the two-year-old. And I bet you're going to see improvements in her, in her depression. She's probably going to be more engaged. She's probably going to want to do things. She's going to be walking more. She's going to be using her mind more, using different parts of her brain. You know, I grew up with, you'll, you'll hear me talk about my grandparents. And that was the best thing in the world for me. You know, I could run downstairs and they would, you know, they'd do anything with me. You know, they'd play with me. I mean, you know, you have to, the toddler's going to teach her probably his games, you know, and that's great. She's going to follow, she's going to get a kick out of it. It's the best thing for both of them. I know when my sister came and she brought her grandkids, um, you know, my mom and dad were like, my dad, you know, they, they're like, they made up their own games. Okay, you know, great grandpa, do this find this you know so my grand my mother and father were both more active walking around chasing them doing whatever you know so it's great so I I I I as you can hear the excitement in my voice, don't worry about it. You can, you can do both things. You can help your, you know, your, your grandson and you're going to be helping your mom. So that's great. And, you know, there's a lot of um, home sharing on the rise, you know, so if you have a parent that you, um, you know, is maybe far away from you, but your, your mom, let's say for instance, or your dad, they want to stay in their own home, but maybe they can't afford it. Or maybe this, they have this big house, but that's where they want to stay they don't want to move you know um there's a lot of people renting you know either renting a room in their home or they share the home now of course you have to um the person has to be checked out i mean you can't just open your home to someone you don't know about your mom's home but you know they check out and you have a, an attorney draw up a contract, do a background check, all that. But um, it's very helpful. It's also if your mom or dad live in like a college town or a college community, a college student living with, you know, an elderly person, it's great for both people. Maybe your mom can't get to the store. The person can, you know, the college student can drive her to the store. She can maybe help her with things around the house. And it's great for your mom. She's socializing, you know, she's being able to get out. And, you know, what that college student's going to learn a lot from your mom you know your mom tell her about her life or you know you get so much wisdom from an older person so it also can help you know financially so there's companionship they help each other so that's a, a great thing 
also. Um, so there's great news for people who um, qualify for Medicare therapy services. There's no more payment caps now on, the phys on physical therapy, speech therapy, and occupational therapy. They were repealed. Yay! So those were repealed. And for beneficiaries who have traditional Medicare policies or private Medicare Advantage policies. So that's really good news. Like your mom, you know, for instance, if your mom and dad had a stroke um, or fractured their hip or any injury that needs intense therapy. So, you know, let's say they had a stroke, they may have to learn how to walk again, how to speak again, how to swallow. So, you know, they're not going to lose that physical therapy because they they maxed out and they went over, you know, they're done for the year. And now they still need the therapy, but they're not going to get it because they can't afford to pay for it. So this is great news. Also for people with chronic conditions, you know, like arthritis. So if your doctor says, if you have that um, Medicare benefit, you know, for therapy services, and your doctor says that it's medically necessary to have that professional provide the service, to have that speech therapist or that physical therapist, to maintain the patient's condition or to prevent the slowdown or further deterioration, you can have that therapy indefinitely. Now, don't let a provider say to you, well, you know, you had five visits and your mom isn't improving, so, you know, it's not going to be covered anymore or we, we, we can't, you know, she doesn't qualify anymore. You got to question that. You have to take a look, you know, what policy your mom has um, and find out if, in fact, she is... Uh, does qualify for the indefinite physical therapy because what happens is a lot of providers say well there's no improvement or she's not expected to improve and there you go and they end the service but you know um Medicare has been reminding people back in 2013, there was the GMO settlement agreement because that clarified the Medicare program for skilled nursing care and for that skilled therapy services. And what that Medicare benefit is, it's not about the potential for improvement. It's about whether that, that therapy is needed. And so when that need is there, that therapy is going to help either maintain the functioning of the patient or they're going to slow down the decline or the deterioration. So you have to question it. Don't let, you know, don't let a provider say, nope, you're not covered. She's not improving because you hear that all the time. Something else in the news, hospital care at home. So there's been a lot of hospitals testing this concept for the last several years. It is more common in Australia, in England, and in Canada. So a patient goes to the emergency room, and they select patients that are acutely ill. What You know, the illness came on quickly. Um, they don't expect the illness to be uh, it'll have a short duration, and it has to be treated right away. But the patient is stable, so and they don't need this intensive round-the-clock care of a hospital. So they can opt for hospital care at home. Like, for instance, if the patient comes in and they have pneumonia. So they give the patient the choice. They don't have to be admitted. You can go home, and you can have the hospital come to you. And what's better than that? You're not in this germy, noisy hospital. You're not at risk for, you know, 
catching an infection for developing another infection. You know, you, you're, you're not going to be, you're not going to worry about, I'm never going to get to sleep in this place. And you don't have to worry about that hospital acquired delirium. So the doctor comes, the nurse comes, they come like two, two times a day. They, they do blood work, whatever tests you might need. You know, you need an IV, they hook you up and they, they apply this wireless patch and that tracks your vitals to the doctor and they track all this data to the hospital. So, you know, they know what's going on with you. You can video chat with the doctor or nurse at any time. And, you know, when you're when they find that you're done and they discharge you and they remove, you know, whatever equipment. So when we get back from the break, I'm going to tell you about what obstacles there might be in the U.S. to the hospital care at home. I want to tell you about my friend Katie. Katie is a nurse and she was attacked on her way home from work. She was totally taken by surprise. And although Katie is only five feet tall and 106 pounds, she was easily able to drop her six foot four, 250 pound attacker to his knees and get away unharmed. Katie wasn't just lucky that day. She was prepared. In her pocketbook, a harmless looking lipstick, which really contained a powerful man-stopping aerosol propellant. It's not like it was in our grandmother's day. Today, just going to and from work or to the mall can have tragic consequences. The FBI says a violent crime is committed every 15 seconds in the United States, and a forcible rape happens every five minutes. And chances are, when something happens, no one will be around to help. It looks just like a lipstick, so no one will suspect a thing, which is important since experts say getting the jump on your attacker is all about the element of surprise. Inside this innocent looking lipstick is the same powerful stuff used by police and the military to disarm even the most powerful armed aggressor. In fact, National Park Rangers use the very same formula that's inside this little lipstick to stop 2,000 pound vicious grizzly bears dead in their tracks. It's like carrying a personal bodyguard with you in your purse or your pocket. Darkness brings danger. Muggers and rapists use darkness to their advantage. We all know what it's like to be walking at night and hear footsteps coming at us from behind. Who's there? If it's somebody bad, will you be protected? Your life may depend on it. My friend Katie's close call needs to be a wake-up call for all of us, myself included. Pick up a lipstick bodyguard and keep it with you always. You're listening to Parents Are Hard To Raise. Now, thanks to you, the number one elder care talk show on planet Earth. Welcome to all our new listeners in California. Wow, this is great. California, you're really buzzing here. San Francisco, Santa Barbara. San Diego, Los Angeles, and St. Louis Obispo. Welcome. It's wonderful to have you as listeners. So what are some of the obstacles in the U.S. to hospitals at home? Well, of course, some hospitals, they don't want to embrace any kind of change. They just want the brick and mortar. You know, you have to go to the hospital. They want to just keep tradition. Of course, health insurers. <laughs> They're an obstacle a lot to healthcare. Systems 
their systems aren't set up to cover this. You know, they don't know how, how do we pay for this? And sometimes there's practical issues. You know, um, they say it's easier in New York City to get Chinese food delivered than it is to get oxygen delivered. So I guess you have to, we got to work around certain things. But there are, I just want you to know, some Medicare Advantage plans that do cover this type of care. And they have found with this hospital care at home, there's fewer complications and better outcomes. You know, when people are home, they found that they're more physically active. And we had talked about that. People in the hospital, they're not moving around like they should. They're not getting up. They're not walking, etc. So in Mount Sinai Hospital in New York, they received a grant back in 2014 from um, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation. <laughs> That's kind of like an oxymoron, but anyway, so, um, and initially they were focused on like, uh, people who come to the emergency room with, um, congestive heart failure, pneumonia and diabetes, but now they have expanded it to, um, uh, asthma, elevated blood pressure and certain types of infection like cellulitis. And not only are they finding it's better for, you know, the patients, it's also better and less stressful for caregivers. You know, when you think about it, they don't have to travel maybe to an unfamiliar hospital. Then they have to pay for parking. Then they have to try to schedule time to meet with the doctors. They have to try to, you know, get there when the doctor's going to be there and guess, you know, what time or talk to a discharge planner. And all this on top of being worried about the patient. I know, you know, I know with my father, you know, my mother went to a different hospital to have her um, <clears throat> breast cancer surgery. And he got lost, you know, trying to find his car. He parked the car and then he couldn't find his car. You know, um, fortunately, you know, my husband, and we all left together, my husband and I, and we kept saying to him, we'll take you to your car. No, I could find it. No, we'll take you to your car. And he could not find his car. And then going back to that same hospital, because the doctor's office was there, my mother was with him and they, you know, for her, um, <clears throat> checkup after surgery and they lost their car they couldn't find it and she told me you know she was waiting for him and he was like 45 minutes wandering you know trying to find his car finally he came back and they had to get you know um I guess a guard drove them around to find their car and you know I mean it is stressful you know where did I park they have all these levels you know even when I went you know there to see my father in the emergency room at a hospital we were like lost and it was horrible trying to you know, you're under so much stress already. So this is great. You know, you don't have to worry about it. <clears throat> Something else in the news, there's a new study that suggests bilingualism may protect against Alzheimer's disease. So they're talking about cognitive reserve. So that's, you know, the brain's ability to cope with a challenge by finding an alternative way to complete a task. So this study is suggesting that people who speak more than one language, they can compensate for Alzheimer's related tissue loss by accessing other brain regions. Very interesting. So what's the buzzword we're all hearing in patient care, you know, patient health care, patient-centered care, the patient experience. So it's funny, the other day I called this company, I, I think it was um, an insurance company, and um, I had been, you know, dealing with them for quite a while, and 
the best. They're not. They don't exactly have the best customer service. But you know, I like the agent, and I kind of tolerate it because you know, I, I, I've been dealing with him for quite a while. But when. Um, I had to leave a, a voicemail because they didn't open, you know, early. And so the voicemail said the company name and then said for the new and improved blah, blah, blah service. Their name was new and improved. And I'm thinking, geez, just because you say it and you put it in a name, it doesn't mean that it is. But anyway, so this communications company Googled the phrase patient experience and they got 19 million results in like 68 hundredths of a second. So that's how many people, you know, this is a big thing. So they analyzed like tens of thousands of these patient reviews on social media. And what were the biggest complaints? They were what happens at the reception desk or in the waiting room or in the billing with the billing department or on the telephone. You know, they said that they can't stand being on hold indefinitely or if they're in a hospital or in their doctor's office or, you know, they just hear this phone ringing and ringing and ringing. I know I was in this um, uh nonprofit place the other day and the phone just kept ringing and ringing and ringing and ringing and nobody's answering and I'm like what are you doing that phone's ringing somebody answer that phone or they don't get any callbacks they leave repeated messages and they don't get any callbacks so the patient experience doesn't start you know, with the doctor. I mean, there was complaints about doctors, you know, and not understanding or not listening or bedside manner. But the biggest complaints were the ones I listed. Very interesting. So I was I, I called a, a, a colleague the other day and somebody on the phone said to me, you know, the person who answered um, in her office said, oh, she's not she she had to leave. And I said, oh, my God, I you know, I just talked to her like an hour ago. What happened? Her dog died, so she had to go. And I was like, oh, my God, you know, her dog died. That That's, you know, I know the feeling. And I thought this this person, obviously, that I was talking to that told me, well, her dog died. Like, they kind of thought, well, it's ridiculous. She had to leave. Her dog died, you know. And, you know, people who don't have a pet or aren't aren't a dog lover, don't have, didn't have a dog or didn't lose a dog, you know, they don't understand what it's like to lose a dog, lose, lose that. And they, you know, they kind of look at you, you know, or, or it sounds like, oh, she overreacted, you know, she had to go. But, you know, your dog is never just a pet. And research has confirmed that for most people, the loss of a dog is almost in every way comparable to the loss of a human loved one. But, you know, we don't have, you know, I mean, you see now they have cards and they have books about the loss of a pet, but we don't have, you know, any grief rituals or no religious services or anything that help us get through the loss of a pet. But it's, it, it's a big, it's a big thing and it's a big challenge and people don't realize it. I mean, you know, it's even more so than, I'm sorry to offend cat owners, but people who have cats, it's not the same thing. You know, dogs, they provide us with such unconditional love. And 
we know that dogs recognize people and they can learn to interpret human emotions and they can look at they can understand facial expressions as well they can understand human intentions they can try to help their owners and they can even avoid people who don't cooperate with their owners they sense what's going on we dog owners score higher on measures of well-being we're and we're happier on average, than people who own cats or own no pets at all. So our our strong attachment to dogs, it was it's even revealed in this recent study of misnaming. So what's misnaming? Well, you call somebody by the wrong name. Or if you've ever had your parents call you, you know, by one of your siblings' names. I know. <laughs> My mother's always, I call on the phone. Is that Carol? Frankie? No, it's Diane. <laughs> you know, so, but families have gotten the dog name confused with one of the siblings. So you know your dog is part of the family so they not only give us you know condition unconditional love they're a companion for us they could be a primary companion provide security and comfort it it disrupts you know the loss of a dog disrupts your routine It, it disrupts it disrupts your your lifestyle your routine and it it can help reduce stress so you do find that you know people who do lose a dog they do decide to get another dog and that's great because you know people just don't understand the loss and I just thought I have to I had to bring that up so two things I wanted to quote something because we were talking about the patient experience by Dr. Francis Peabody if if people don't recognize him he was an American physician he graduated from Harvard and he made a speech to the medical students at Harvard University um, on October 21st 1926 and quote I'm quoting his speech here I want to tell you what it says time sympathy and understanding must be lavishly dispensed but the reward is to be found in that personal bond which forms the greatest satisfaction of the practice of medicine. One of the essential qualities of the clinician is interest in humanity, for the secret of the care of the patient is in caring for the patient. Fantastic quote, right? And that's what everyone in healthcare should be striving for. That's what they say we're striving for, but that's not happening. So, my survival tip of the week, stop multitasking. Because multitasking is not good. We don't do it. Neuroscience tells us that there is no such thing. Because every time we switch from one task to another, we use up mental energy and brain glucose. Switching rapidly between tasks reduces our IQ, our usable IQ by 10 points. So juggling tasks We flood our brain with cortisol, which is the stress hormone, and adrenaline, which is that fight-or-flight hormone. So that prevents us from clear thinking. And also those chemicals are involved in burnout. So that's something. I know we all try to multitask, but we have to stop doing that. So today, I hope you gained some insight. I hope you took away something from today's episode. Episode 51. Can you believe that? Remember, the very best conversations happen at parentsarehardtoraise.org. So I want you to go there right now, leave a question or a comment so myself, our team, and the entire Parents Are Hard to Raise worldwide community can support you. 
please share as much detail as you can because thousands of incredible souls come here each week for insight and inspiration. And your story may give someone else exactly what they need to live more fully right now. One of the things we're all starving for is community and connection. So please join us. If you found something helpful in this episode, episode 51, please subscribe on iTunes or iHeartRadio. And I'd be so grateful if you'd share this episode with your family and any friends. Parents Are Hard to Raise is a Karnasic Media production. The music used in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music, New York, New York, under license of Broadcast Music Incorporated. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to reading your comments and can't wait till we meet again next week on the next episode of Parents Are Hard to Raise. Till then, question everything. See you again next week.